All right. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, so I'm Shane Hardy. I'm on the advisory board at the Grass-Fed Exchange, and I am the ecology director at Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture. Uh, and I'm really excited to have Dorn Cox on the line. I'll let him introduce himself in a little bit, but um, we're just going to be talking about how we know where we're going, how we know uh, if we're moving forward, if we're moving backwards, why that's important, some of the strategies we've used or played around with, some things that have been easy or struggled, some, you know, where, where do we want to go? What do you think is valuable for the community at large? All that kind of stuff. And if anyone here has questions, just uh, send, them, send them in the chat and we'll, we'll try to get to them. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I'll just, you know, in my role as ecology director at Stone Barn Center, uh, I work with both the crops and the livestock team to, you know, monitor the impacts on soil health, watershed health, uh, plant species, bird species, uh, things like that. Um, and also my team takes care of the compost systems and sort of nutrient cycles. The, um, forestry and some of the, you know, mowing and strategic other, you know, interventions in the, that are sort of sit outside of the day-to-day -day production, um, but are in service of the sort of ecology and the, the whole system of the farm. Um, so yeah, Dorn, uh, I've known you for about five or six years, Noah, at least at maybe least, more. I think I think I think time's slipping away here <laughs> yeah yeah maybe maybe almost a decade anyway I mean I always have been super impressed by what you have to say and also just the ethic that you bring around curiosity and um just your devotion to open source and sort of equity in access to knowledge and tools for people. So, I mean, I would just love if you could introduce yourself a little bit and, and tell people about, you know, what you do and, and uh, where, you know, where you're coming from, some of the cool things you're involved in. Sure. Well, uh, I'm currently, I'm calling from my family farm, uh, uh, Tuckaway Farm in uh, Lee, New Hampshire, right next to uh, University of New Hampshire, where I have a uh, diversified operation with uh, raising livestock as well as uh, crops. So a lot of it direct marketed into our, you know, the, the markets from Boston to Port, uh, Portland. But I'm also uh, here representing my other hat, which is research director at Wolf's Neck Center for Agriculture and the Environment, which is a uh, nonprofit research and education farm on the coast of Maine in Freeport. Um, that's also a grazing dairy. Uh, um, but we're also uh, the host to a project called Open Team, uh, which is an open technology ecosystem for agricultural management, which is really out outgrowth of more than a decade's worth of work also that I've been involved in in terms of things like uh, FarmHack uh, and the creation of the FarmOS operating system and particularly working with, you know, which is all, all of these projects are like a recognition that uh, you know, agriculture is this incredibly complex shared multi-generational effort that uh, is too complex for anyone, uh, anyone to hold much less, uh, you know, farmers on their own or research scientists on their own or companies or 
corporations that it's this really massive effort to, to create a public science that's not just producing food but improving and uh, creating uh, you know a livable and, and adaptable climate and creating quality of life for people so there's so much to that that i think has really been driving a lot of the work that uh, uh, that I've, I've been doing and then recognizing we need to create sort of different structures in order to help uh, that multi-generational shared effort um, that I think, again, is so universal in sort of positioning agriculture, not, again, not as just this solitary uh, enterprise, but elevating the work that, you know, we do as land stewards, uh, but then recognizing that, that we're par part of a much larger system that, that needs to help support us in that effort. So that's some of the that's some of the work. So things like, uh, you know, uh, FarmHack was creating creating a sort of a shared library of open source tools and technologies. And more recently, it's been uh, around linking uh, tools and technologies for uh, measurement and verification and analysis and and communications across farmers and researchers and environmental service markets and food companies and so forth. So that's sort of where a lot of what we're, we're we've been connecting a lot is like how do we how do we create these different these markets for things other than food fiber and energy that we're creating yeah i think that's so important i think about it all the time and i think a lot of people who come to the grass-fed exchange and who are interested in tuning into this are people that are you know are really land stewards they yes the product they sell may be food fiber, um, maybe some other creative things, but their life involves caring for land and in, in so many ways that can't really appropriately be valued just by the sale of the food product. And so I think, you know, for me, that, that's been part of a driving force in getting into monitoring um, not, not, and, and, you know, it also makes me a little nervous sometimes because commodifying nature, I also don't think is quite the way. So how do we go about valuing the work that people do that cares, but without just turning it into another commodity that we sell? Well, I think that's just such a great observation and something we have to really guard against and certainly you saw that early on with the sort of the carbon markets as they were to try to create this exchange where one ton of carbon is the same regardless of how it's produced and that just perpetuates a lot of the same issues that you're talking about it's not about car so much about carbon but the, the soil health that created it and all the nuance that goes along yeah. with it so i really think it's you know it, it's actually changing some of our language and using some of the really impressive tools that we now have to measure it really you know, at the level that we do actually at the field, that it, the way we manage adaptive management is this really high resolution, high input, like we're observing so much as we walk the fields. And that's essentially the decommodification process is all the local nuance. And in fact, I think we have the opportunity there that to really enhance that in uh, to decommodify uh, not just from a marketplace perspective, but from, you know, I think a lot of what we're hearing, even from some of the larger food brands and, and customers at the restaurant certainly is that premium, 
price is about or, or, or is recognition of all that other value. It's that relationship value rather than commodity value that we're that we're creating. There's commodity. There's a piece of it, but that's that's you know that's exchangeable, fungible. That you know, a pound of calories is a pound of calories, right? Yeah. Uh, but so, but that's yeah. the smallest piece of the value we're creating, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, to and, totally. So I, I think that's 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 what drives me. And a lot of this measurement is exactly what you say: is this decommodification and creating a system to handle those much more complex transactions uh, that we have. And and I think that's you know that's that's where we actually I think can use you know there's this sense that we're going to use technologies that's going to accelerate commodification. I, I think the opposite can be true. Uh, yeah. That we can use it to tell much more nuanced, in-depth stories about what's actually happening on the land, uh, to and connect more deeply with our customers uh, and with each other. I would say, like with each other, because part of you know part of what this is all about is measuring so that we're actually improving environmental performance. Which again, we can do better by taking our observations and sharing them in detail with one another where they're the same and then understanding where you know where we can't make where, where we have local differences yeah and so i want to come back to some of the technology and this sort of value of like monitoring in a community and and weighing those balances those nuances versus the need for sort of larger collective data sets but i also am just curious about like your personal journey growing up on your family farm and like getting like like what clicked in your mind to say like i need to i need to know more about what's happening you know because we know so much so much so many of us who work on the land we you you see things you you see the grass greener you feel it spongy under your feet you know the soil like giving under your feet you you see the water running clear or you you know or you see a gully form in your field when it's eroded but but so like what drove you into you know really digging in deeper yeah, it's really interesting. So, I mean, I, I grew up, it was an organic farm. My dad went to, you know, he, he went to school in a in ag school at, you know, Cornell at a time when you couldn't, there wasn't such a thing as, you know, organic at the time. He was kind of ostracized. He found like the one professor that was still like he was willing to talk to. So we went, but that's, but I, I make that case not because that actually led or created the inspiration because there was still, the motivation or the the insights there were still didn't really come for me actually until I connected with uh, folks who were working on the Cornell soil health test and we started looking at you know at all of those physical and biological properties that we could start to measure and you're talking about sort of taking turning on a light you know you suddenly see and can quantify those those intangibles that you're talking about suddenly became tangible enough to not only measure but to talk to somebody else about just like so we had fields where we were we were grazing and it had been in perennial forages for years and we were seeing algae blooms in our irrigation ponds and it was a big tension between me and my dad saying well 
you know, there's clearly phosphorus in there, and yet we're testing we're testing low in phosphorus in our in our soils. So the tendency is like we're great, but it was really you know what we now we all know about surface compaction now, right? And runoff. Yeah. We talk a lot about that, but here's a great illustration. So we subsoiled, and uh, you know, after two years of subsoiling on contour, the species changed almost instantly. We saw the algae go away. We saw huge gains in sort of the, the vigor and productivity of those fields. And mm -hmm. that to me just, you know, it was that it was partly it was like, here, here's something we're measuring, we can quantify, mm -hmm. we can, we now we can dig, we can see the platelets like that sort of was like, the, starting to really look at that profile in the way that not just the above ground, but starting to really look at the way roots uh, function that really got me excited and that and I think the thing that got me excited is like oh if we start to create a way we can talk about this with one another we can really accelerate our shared understanding of, of that incredible complexity so I just I after that I mean I think that was more than a it was well more than a decade ago I was just like everything else in my life has been following that <laughs> that process yeah. is yeah, like okay yeah. how do we say like well how do we measure the the, the way that you know the, the diversity of that that root mass and rooting depth and complexity just like we have that sort of strata in above ground biomass and and now that's common you know everybody's pulling you know digging digging roots up and looking at the uh, nodules and and uh, and aggregation and so forth, but that was exciting at that time. Yeah, and again, again, those things I think have been have been going on for ages. Those were great, you know, indicators. But I think that we now have ways to measure and share more, both qualitatively and quantitatively, to uh, you know those indicators and how how we can measure them and and share that data with one another. Yeah. Um, and we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I did not grow up on a farm. I grew up in the suburbs, right across the river from where I now work, um, and had no idea I would end up right back in the Hudson Valley, on on a you know a farm that I could literally see from across the river. Um, but as I, you know, I just wanted to know more. I don't, I don't know what it was, but I just soil just fascinated me. I you know, I, I spent most of my time until I was five digging in the dirt. So I guess I must've had some innate fascination with it. But um, as I, you know, I sort of wrap my head around the basis of the basics of soil health. I wanted to really know, and, and I started to, you know, hear all these claims that people made about the impacts of organic farming or regenerative grazing and like pretty, you know, pretty significant claims. I was like, well, let's see here at Stone Barn Center, like, let's really know, let's know that, let's know that to the best of our ability. And um, so I sort of set out to really advance the monitoring program. And it was, it was really hard at first. Like I wasn't trained. I, I, I majored in philosophy in college. Like I didn't know how to set up you know, time series data to, to really track whether we we're, whether we were seeing change. And it's, you know, I think that there's probably a lot of folks, it, it, it's, it seems so simple. You're like, I'm going to go walk out in the pastures and I'll dig up some soil and I'll send it to the lab. 
And in essence, that can be what you're doing, but it's not that simple. Like where you do it in the field, yeah. when you do it, how many subsamples, how do you design where you take those subsamples? Um, which lab do you switch well, labs? Do you state, and, you know, all that stuff. And what questions are you actually asking with that too, which is to determines that totally also is, yeah. So I think that's, that's, I, that to me is like one of the really sort of interesting and exciting things is that we're starting to ask different questions uh, from, from that sampling process too, is it like, it's not necessarily uh, how much do I apply, which is what a lot of the soil yeah. used to be, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, what are the other, the rest of the other constraints and then what's actually changing. I know the, the thing that I, gets me most excited is just this process of, you know, adaptive management in sort of what are we doing that's making a difference? So you're asking that question. It's like, what is, you know, if you do something different, what area is that affecting? You know, if you're thinking, yeah. you know, that that to me I think is is a really exciting thing because it's it's taking and you're asking about this sort of this you're you're talking about like well we're measuring for like total performance that's what say you know a food buyer wants to know or you know the marketplaces want to know what's how much carbon did your farm capture well that's that's you know not so interesting on a day to day basis and actually for your performance what we're actually interested in is like Okay. Okay. Did did uh, did that compost application really, you know, have a biological effect that I was looking for, right? Yeah. Uh, and that was different than say, did the trees that I planted on the hedgerow and reduced lodging, or did these other functions and created habitat? What function did they have in that system? That's a. Uh, but those are things that I think individually we're really interested in on a day-to-day -day basis and sort of part of part of what I've been sort of advocating is that that's actually if we can gather that data for ourselves really well and share mm -hmm. it then we're actually creating way better data that's useful for all the markets and everybody else that wants this information as well and it actually has value to us in those other forums too but I think the thing that's exciting to me is asking those questions with each other. So you and I compare, like, how do we, how do we understand the effect of, you know, the, the multiple effects as we're planting, you know, we're doing, uh, you know, planting chestnuts in our pasture, right? Yeah. There's so many effects. How do we go about sort of for ourselves and with each other asking those questions, right? That, that to me is exciting. Wow. And then as a byproduct, if we do that well, and we, do that in a structured way there's so many other there's so much value to that yeah and that that makes me think about you know um with open team because stone barns is a is a hub farm with open team um i think one of the amazing things that has come out of that for me is is like there's this field methods working group and it's you know, everyone's coming with their unique set of questions that they want to know, which is important. We have to answer the questions that make a difference for us. But ideally, we also answer some similar questions and can compare the data and can bring that to the market. We can bring it to policymakers. We can bring it to tool designers. Um, we can bring it to nursery 
like nurseries to be like, this really makes a difference. Can somebody please like, there's a market for chestnut trees and silvopasture in the Northeast, whatever it is. Right. Um, and, you know, it, there was, there's a lot of meetings at first where we just all had to get our questions out and hammer out the details uh, or we couldn't even get to hammering out the details for a while. And then at some point this spring, late winter, like in March, I felt like it really started clicking and, and everybody going through this process of digging into those questions of what they really want to know, what they as a farmer or they as a researcher, because there's research, talented researchers in the group felt was, were the valuable questions. We actually really started to get to some pretty awesome guidelines and sort of flow charts for how to like decision-making guides for how to set up some monitoring. And um, yeah, I was just wondering if you could also talk about, about that a little bit and, and, you know, about that process and what's been difficult and what's been <laughs> sort of, you know, also really gratifying or sort of surprising. Um, well, well, like like you say, I mean, I think that's that's the, that was the what it took us a while as a group to come to is that yeah we all have our questions that it is just to, like you say to get those questions out on the table and what are the ones that we're asking sort of in the short term for our own immediate needs and what are our bigger curiosities that we share that we can actually and most of those I think all those things where we need to compare our results to somebody else's we need we need to collaborate on right like yeah. to make sense of even our own. Uh, our own observations, we really, you know, we, we need to compare. And that's the cool thing about that with soil health and with sort of that level is like it's conventional and organic and everybody else because actually what everybody wants to know is like, what am I doing that, how do I, how does it rake? How does it fit? How much better is it? Or how, what room do I have for improvement? So that yeah. was the really gratifying thing. I mean, there, but there's some, a lot of specific examples where, uh, you know, there are specific things that where we can see like, oh, it would be great to be able to measure or, you know, uh, more reliably, you know, our organic matter really quickly and at low cost, we don't have to send it in. I mean, this is part of this whole trend of, you know, can, you know, be able to do more instant feedback directly from the field. I mean, yeah. I think that's sort of this in situ sort of moving away from research stations and really structured to like, actually what's working in a field under our management, right? That's the question. Yeah. So, but the thing, you know, the, the classic example, and I think it, 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 it fits so much of where things are going are, you know, the uh, spectral measurements. So basically the color of soil, there's so much you can get from that. And we get it instantly with our own eyes, mm -hmm. but like, now using cameras and infrared, you know, spectrometers that are starting to be available at low cost, we can get that information really quickly, but it's useless unless we have all of everybody else's data with specific soil types and the, and, and the data in terms of how it was collected and moisture, like all these things, and moisture levels for soil types are mm -hmm. also can need to be indexed. There's like so many of those things that we can only answer with everybody else's data. And it doesn't do any good if some company has it because they're not gonna cover every production system everywhere on earth. It's, this is something that is like what I was saying at the beginning is like a classic example of 
this should be this is science this is like shared public science it should be part of what we all have access to is uh is that that calibration data set to enable us to use the tools that are available to us at low cost and be able to take that temple and say based on this production system with this sample type uh i'm in you know you can see right away where you are in the range and you should and you can get that instantly that to me is exciting you can walk out in a field and the other thing we were talking a lot about this spring in the uh, field methods is again like you said the sample site selection where do you pick a site and again this is like cover crop selection even experienced people can look at a landscape or think through cover crop options but there are so many variables in that to, mm -hmm. to walk through that it's a cognitive it, it can be fun but it can be exhausting those are things that again we can walk through very logically in a in and shared open source computing com, you know computer platform and get an ins, an answer that we can then check but it can go through and narrow down the possibilities based on uh what we already know about the place so that to me yeah. is exciting so you can uh because you know it's there's a big cost and even random sampling there's a lot of cost in taking your time out of the day to go out and walk and pick where you're where you're going to go and to be able to have confidence that what your process of doing that is going to be comparable to the way somebody else did it uh and and then um, well we can go on and on about that but it's uh those are the things that i think are where we have just we can have we can gain tremendous efficiency at no cost of essentially to uh, and then innovate on top of that rather than to try to compete on the way the basic, you know, the way the world works, right? <laughs> that's, that's not something that, what, what I'd like to see is that we're, we're competing on creating the best environment, the, the best flavors, the best possible, you know, the improving health in general. That's, that's yeah. what I want to see the innovation, uh, not on who holds the spectral library. Yeah. Um we got a couple of questions here. I think this next one sort of there's um, what tools might you use when observing subsurface soil observations in the microbiological world? The surface can be fairly subjective. I mean, I can think of a number that are out there and that are sort of up and coming. Um, we at Stone Barns have been trialing the micro microbiometer which, um, you know, it's pretty simply, you, you can use a soil probe and take samples um, to whatever depth you really want. I think it's sort of designed to be in the top few inches um, in the really active, basically in the really active root zone, um, which, you know, can change, but um, it gives you total microbial biomass and fungal to bacterial ratios. And we're also sharing our data back with them so they can help hone it and they're, they're calibrating it. So it's not, I feel like at this point, it's not something that's set in stone, but it's like, it, you know. It's a lot less expensive than the PLFA. And you yeah, and it, away. it yeah. is. And, and I'll be honest, I sent some samples out to you know, pretty reputable lab to get PLFA analysis and, and the, the results, they didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Our poorest field, which is super compacted, came back with like 
like unbelievably good micro microbial biology and and like relatively speaking they were like by their standards and it just it just didn't make any sense and and the microbiometer made pretty good sense and and the fields fit with our other observations like the results it's it's and we did it on compost too they have like you can test fungal to bacterial ratio on compost which is really cool yeah i mean and, and certainly the the the, the cost of even in-field, uh, I mean, there's these new methods for, for testing actual measurement of the microbial communities now in, in USB, basically on USB devices. So this is all, that's all becoming possible, but the interpretation I think is 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 sort of the, the challenge, like you say, mm -hmm. is taking that and say, okay, what do you do with that? That's where, I, I mean, I still really think things like, uh, root aggregation and and so forth is some of the fastest easiest you just i mean that that visual inspection and i think that's again where you know there are sort of photo assay approaches that are being developed to to actually quantify uh some of that as well to make that process of doing that sort of that what might otherwise be considered sort of qualitative into quantitative data and putting some structure around that so those those observations are shareable yeah. Do you have any other like, you know, tools that you really value or you feel like really excited about and that sort of like in situ proximal sensing, remote sensing, that all that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, and or, and or like, what do you feel like we was sort of like in the works and up and coming? Yeah, I mean, I've been really and I mean, I really enjoy the the really the, the more simple, the better. I mean, I'd like to have the technology go away and have it be a shovel and a camera, basically, and the rest of it goes goes away. But it, you still get the same. I mean, that's the that my <laughs> I, I deal and the the land PKS system is really trying to go towards that direction. So yeah and using basically like a yellow post-it note for a calibration to just get rough soil color. Because I think, you know, in, in most cases, it's really about change over time that we want to see. Yeah. So the value is less important. Um, and then, I, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of the, the, I mean, I'm totally, you know, we're all, I think, piloting the other projects, things like uh, the, you mentioned the microbiometer, but yardstick for doing spectral analysis in situ at, mm -hmm. at cross depths. Also, uh, you know, obviously the quick carbon uh, project doing the in-field, in you know, the soil very rapid for collecting yeah. soil samples and, and doing a spectral analysis in the field. So you can take, you know, hundreds in a day. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that, uh, the, the other thing uh, we've got, a, there's an engineer uh, in town here that's been building uh, a uh, it's basically a uh, uh, NOx and CO2 meter on a probe. Oh, really? Uh, so you can get instant uh, respiration at different depths and different treatments. And we don't have enough data, but it's it's pretty cool because you can yeah. see such a difference uh, at field at, at at different field boundaries and soil types and moisture levels. And so that's, it's not quite there, but I, it's, it's pretty, it's, that's kind of an exciting thing just, and you, it is basically like a penetrometer. You just push it into the, push it into the ground and then you know what the depth is and you can, you can see that huge, huge amounts of variation and huge amounts of variation over time, which is sort of the challenging things. Like I, again, I get a value and it can be high, which means there's a lot, you know, a lot of respiration going on. That's generally good, but how do I, how do I make sense of that? That's, that's the other part of it. Is yeah like 
you know, other, you know, I can do it for my own, but it's much more interesting if we can share that and, and, and to get to somewhere where that can be more instantly interpretable based on sort of the, the weather history, the, the sort of my own grazing history, uh, uh, what could it be, what is it, you know, those kinds of things I think is get much more interesting. Yeah. Well, one thing that I, I think we settled on when we were developing our monitoring system was we really want, as you said, we wanted to know change over time. Yeah. And what that actually meant from us was moving away from the way of testing soil, the sort of agronomic guidelines for testing for what you're going to put in, which is basically how most of those were designed. And it meant that we actually made transects and we cited them in uh, fields that had like roughly similar management considerations. For example, there's a block of fields where bobolinks show up. And so we, you know, we don't graze them for basically a two month period when bobolinks are there. And so we know they're similar characteristics. And so in those fields, we, we want to be able to compare them. We want to be able to compare them to other fields, but we also want to be able to care them. So even though, so we cited the transects all on relatively the same position on the hill so that we could compare those fields. And, the, you know, it's a little bit of a trade-off because we don't necessarily know what's going on at the bottom of the hill. We can, we can do other tests, but we've chosen to, to tra track change over time and to also kind of cite them in the area where the bobolinks tend to nest. So we can see what sort of correlations are there. Um, and I mean, it has been interesting because we can pretty reliably now um, say that, that the change is due to our management and, and weather and nature and whatever, but over years we should get increasingly confident. And it's been cool to see that one of those fields the way we've managed it and sort of given it some extra rest periods. And then, I mean, we hit it hard early, like before the bobolinks show up and we will graze it pretty heavily later in the year, but we um, have seen it. It was a pretty compacted old hay field and it has gone from one of the poorer performing fields to one of the fields that has some of the best soil health numbers uh, of, of our fields. And, it's interesting, but one has accelerated more than the others, and it's not always clear why. Um, but it's really neat to be able to see those trends start to show up. Right. Yeah. And again, those are very hard on a single farm to com compare. And I think that's 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 what we're that's what we're aiming to yeah. do with you know with the the tools at Open Team is to be able to create it. And this is what we talked about. I guess we didn't touch on it before, but that if we can collect our data into these systems and with support, so we're not doing it just by ourselves because others want yeah. to figure this out, but we collect it in a way that we can compare it, we can start to get some answers. What are the, what's the variable we are missing to make that other field that didn't come back as, as, uh, as well? What, what was, yeah. the, what was the, what was the likely biological or physical constraint? Yeah. But, I wanted to. I saw some questions there. One, there was asking who who else I had besides my dad. I want to go back. I, I want to give Klaus Martin a huge. I I went to. I think it was 
uh, maybe 13, 15 years ago to a presentation, a young farmers thing up in uh, in New York, and saw him uh, and Mary Hall speak, and it just that was like that 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 was everything. Uh, it really came back to that. <laughs> to that he really talked in a way that made me think and think differently and it only it was you know a half hour presentation but it made a huge difference and then from there uh i want to give credit to bianca mobius clune and brandon smith uh you know we had to do soil health management planning at in new hampshire because at that point it was wasn't gonna it was too controversial to even talk about soil health in new york state extension um and so we were able to do it with the NRCS folks in New Hampshire um, to get started. Um, but uh, there's another there's another question there about um, also around, I think, nutrient density, which is sort of the other piece, because I think we talked a lot about sort of the soil health and relationship. I mean, certainly the environmental uh, markets around biodiversity, water quality and quantity. But the other piece here is is, again, the relationship that we're still sorting out around nutrient density and measurement. Um, and I think what we can say, we, we, one of our members is the Real Food Campaign um, to Open Team. And the, a lot of the tools we're working with, with RSI are doing a lot of the lab testing, not just, uh, not just spectral analysis, but full you know, antioxidants and, and so the and, uh, active compounds, et cetera, in, in foods. And what I, I think I can summarize safely is that there is a relationship, it's really complex, and the variation in that nutrient density is so large that it's, that's what's really exciting is that, and, and I, I think if you hear some of, you see some of the data, you've got, you know, a carrot that's the equivalent of 30 other carrots in terms of the, the nutrient density. Um, and then maybe this is this crowd is all familiar with that, but I think there's so much richness in those data sets that we have yet to explore, and that's so much value both for our livestock, but also for the people we're feeding, for meats and milk and everything else. That is is like another light switch going on. So we we're starting to see sort of this variability in sort of the the biological activity in our soils and managing that. I really think that this is another one of those values that decommodifies. So these two things look the same. They have perhaps measured the same in a calorimeter, like the same calories, but they're clearly not. Not only the production system, but there's something different about these two things. So I think that's the other big frontier that we have as producers, as we can start to measure that and then market what actually is, not just sort of, again, further moving down that decommodification because I think even our certifications right now, organic certification is a commodification of this claim. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's the exciting thing is that we can start to say what this is not only the actual process that produced this uh, rather than a summarized commodified version, but what here's the actual product we produced. Um, so, and I think, I, I, but there we're moving from lab-based testing, ideally to something that is uh, closer to a, spe you know, very rapid low-cost spectral analysis. Yeah. Th so. There's another comment here about that, you know, if you walk your fields, you know, the when biodiversity and biomass production improves, animal performance improves. So why rely on technology to prove the point? And I, I, I mean, I, in one sense, I agree that, it's pretty obvious to almost any farmer or rancher when conditions are improving. That being said, that's, it's kind of hard to convince policymakers 
who should be providing support or, you know, there could be collective data sets that help negotiate market price and things like that. Unfortunately, I think time has proven the public cares very little about what the farmer sees and knows in his own fields. And I would add, yeah, I, I, I would add a couple of things to that. Yeah, please. One of which is, you know, we observe, you know, you know, five to six feet up in one direction at one time. We can only look at one place at one time. So we're limited in that in terms of what we can actually observe. And we only, as, as Buffett says, right, we have 40 seasons. And yeah. the land and the projects, you know, the, the, the farms that we're operating, it's not just us alone. Like this is, a again, multi-generational effort. And it feels like this is a, our understanding of that land is, I think, needs to be cumulative. That over generations, we should actually have a greater body of knowledge and not have it go with the last generation that was really excellent at it. So I think part of this is creating tools that we can uh, provide some of the the, same, the insights of really excellent observers and spread that out. And then also, you know, not be limited by, again, our own eyesight in the visual spectrum. I mean, I think that's, we have that op opportunity to look, to, yeah. do, to do more uh, with that. So those, that's sort of my, so the way I, I think about it uh, anyway, and I think we can learn so much faster. I mean, this sort of the this sort of the forty season. We have forty seasons to learn, uh, sort of in our own farms. But if you think about like ten thousand farms, uh, even in a given year, you've got so many lifetimes of potential experience that you can learn learn from if we can figure out a way to to make those comparable. Yeah. Yeah. So and I think we have an urgency to do that, right? I mean, that's where I, I, do. Have this, I, do. I have this sort of responsibility. That, I mean, this is what drives me, anyways. I feel like this there's this responsibility to, 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 because I, I think we're facing so many challenges here. I, and I deeply believe that agriculture is one of the main ways in which we can address so many of our, our challenges. But it requires uh, sort of it requires this uh, you know this kind of action. You know. Yeah, I I fully agree there. I think we can learn so much faster together, but it does take a lot of working out of the details for that to really effectively learn from each other and be able to have that sort of, you know, memorialized and, and, and available for future generations and for other people in data. And, and it, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't also always have to be um, like there's ways to quantify qualitative data. You know, I think that there's there's ways to that that can be useful where to, to go out and rate. I mean, you could even do something like go out and rate on a scale of one to ten how good the soil smells when you pick it up and see with a bunch of different people and see what happens, you know? I think there's value in that. Soil can smell really different. And, you know, so I, I think there's an interesting thing there because, well, I'll say, I think that one of the, one of the moments that I was sort of like an, ah, like not an aha moment, but one of the most fascinating things I sort of observed while monitoring 
was when we were digging soil pits to test carbon down to a meter, I was in the soil pit and we, you know, the part of the reason we want to collect that is we want it, that's going to change slower, but there's a lot of capacity down there, a lot of soil volume and the changes that happen there are much more likely to be stable and be long-term carbon storage to pull it out of the atmosphere and also probably reflect deeper rooting depths, deeper productivity, all this stuff. But I remember being in the soil pit and just seeing the, this, they were almost like stalactites in a cave or, or icicles of topsoil penetrating down into the subsoil. Yeah. And it's my so theory cool. <laughs> was, was that they were roots. And then we found one channel that had a dry dead root in it and just a little ring of dark subsoil that had so obviously come from the rhizosphere, from all, you know, sort of carbon that had been pumped out by that root into microbes and sort of stabilized there. And, and some of the fields that we had been managing through regenerative grazing for longer had deeper and more of those than some of the fields that had been and, hay fields. And those are the kinds of things that you're both qualitative and quantitative, right? Is like you create these, I think, new way in being able to, to capture that. I think, and and I love those kinds of tests. I mean, I think the aggregate stability test of the clod and and the screen, and a and a column of water is just so powerful because you're getting it's, you can do both quantitative and qualitative. You get that instant feedback in your, yeah. your as you watch it. I think the five gallon uh, bucket infiltration test, likewise, you can do all sorts of other fancy stuff, but just watch what happens when you dump a five gallon bucket of water. Yeah, it, it can be quite timer you know it's quantitative and qualitative um I, I almost think that the that it, if you had to pick one thing for somebody to do to monitor i almost think it would be a water infiltration test in a pasture system at least i mean i don't know you know veg systems are so changed by tillage on a regular basis but um well some yeah what what do you think like what if somebody had just like one key place to start oh, well i mean i i, I think this I, I think it's you don't want to stop at one but uh no yeah. you don't but you gotta <laughs> no, start but I think water and then rooting roots and and in and i i think are are really important like the kind of thing you're doing is just looking at what the roots are doing um, but I wanted to add one other thing in terms of this qualitative, quantitative. It's something yeah. I've been talking a lot about in sort of uh, with, with uh, some of the monitoring programs uh, that are starting up out in California and so forth. Is that simple? You know, imagery is so powerful. I mean, you can it, 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 that it is quantitative and qualitative. A picture. I mean, it sounds digital imagery now. Uh, you know, you can analyze every pixel and change over time, take the same. So if one of the things that I've been excited about is, is you know, we did this with some cover crop trials here in New Hampshire. We did field edge. We got game cams and just put it on time lapse. Um, and there's just so much. It's so it's so simple. And yet there's, there's just a lot of really rich information that comes out of that that's very low cost to collect. And soup, you have so much information from that seasonal time-lapse of, of the pasture system or the cropping system. Um, and there's some formal, uh, well, here at University of New Hampshire, they're part of a project 
uh, called the Phenocam Network, which is a, it basically it's it's cameras all over the world uh, that do time lapse imagery, and they digitally analyze a piece of every one of those, so they can look and in, and actually take that qualitative image that you can browse and get something out of it without any computer you know processing, but then they turn it into a graph. So this is just wow. a visual spectrum. So you can see the change year over, you know, this year versus last year, we have such a different green greenness profile because we had drought all last August. Yeah. <laughs> so it shows up just like crazy. And we know that, but now that's actually not just my anecdotal, like you can say how much different it was. When did it reach the same level of greenness? How did that compare when we have this level of greenness at this date? What was our bio, you know, what was our fall harvest? Yeah. Uh, so that's where I think, and, and I think I think that's kind of the future where we can collect it to sort of passively in this way in which we can, again, more human interpretable, and then use computers to make it easy on us and actually turn that into something that we can share with somebody else that's that's meaningful. Yeah. And sort of... I, I love the sort of like, I love when technology like comes back to simple, like it makes use of, I mean, like the phone in your pocket is like an uh, absolutely amazing, super complex thing that could allow for something as easy and simple as a picture. And then with the computing power to, to really mean a lot, you know, and it also often is like, it, you, you kind of often do start to realize how amazing humans can be like how often your assessment of the soil color or springiness or smell is 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 telling you something you know it's really it's there let's see we got some other um things in here there's a question about ndvi imaging um questions about how do we convince corn and soybean farmers to keep their soil covered um i wish i knew that one but you know maybe they should you know raise some cattle on the cover crop too but <laughs> um i don't know what do you want to feel there's a whole slew of questions here yeah so ndvi is so you know i i don't know if that's uh so normalized differential vegetation index is sort of what we look at sort of the easier way to think about it is just sort of how green over, you know, greenness over time. Um, that's kind of what we were getting at with the field edge monitoring. I think that's, that's, there's a, there's certainly uh, different approaches, but I think working in the, there's a lot we can get that's very similar to that. Uh, that's high, again, you don't have to rely on satellite imagery to get that same basic indication. I think that's a bit what the Phenocam is doing, but they're looking at, I think the value is combining, this is sort of this thing, what can we observe ourselves and share directly? And then how can we contribute that knowledge to something that's much bigger? So working with Sentinel or Landsat imagery to create a NDVI image. I think that's great for, you know, from the marketplace perspective, from insurance, for looking at the landscape level, and we can all contribute to that. Those are the things that we can say, hey, our observations are wonderful, but what they, what NVDVI, for example, can't tell you is, what did you do that made that plot stand out? I mean, we've looked at Gabe Brown's, I mean, it stands out, NDVI over time on Gabe Brown's place stands out. You can see the field boundaries 
perfectly of his neighbors. Like it's fantastic. Uh, That's and awesome. See, and you can see the changes in his own evolution over time. You know, it's pretty cool. Uh, and others too. I, I'm sure many on the call, if we picked out, we could use NDVI to say, oh, these, you know, here are some farms that are really doing something different. So there's value in that sort of telling digital stories at the landscape level. Um, but then what they can't tell you is again, what was what 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 was different? What worked well there based on their soils, based on their markets, based on their neighbors, based on like all those other things that we actually need to know and communicate with each other and with our customers and tell that that deeper sort of storytelling. So I think it's it's an important tool, you know, tool in our toolbox for storytelling at this landscape level. Um, but then we have all these other things that I think are telling more about the the nuance of our own operations and sort of the decommodification sort of piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, Russ asks, can you talk a bit more about what is Open Team? What does it enable you to do? Store and compare quantitative data. Ask questions of each other. Where is it going in the future? Oh. Great, that's a softball. <laughs> that's great. So yeah, no. Uh, so problem for us. <laughs> yeah, no. Open Team uh, was formed um, uh, almost three years ago uh, with uh, matching funding from the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research. We started with about a dozen organizations of research universities and um, and food companies like Stonyfield and. Um, and uh, some of the early uh, ag tech uh, folks like RSI and Pharma West and Regen Network. It's now about 45 organizations and we've created uh, hubs around the country in different production systems, geographies and scales and some international. Uh, and it, all of that is done through creation of memorandums of understanding that we're in this together, that we have shared understanding that we're committed to making some of the core tools to data share open source. And from that process, we're both putting them into, so we have working groups that are, that Shane mentioned, things like field methods so that we can develop the scientific approaches for measurement in the field in a way that we can compare and take the tools and technologies and apply them. Uh, we have the hubs, which uh, Stone Barnes is one of them, which is again coordinating with others to help ask these different questions and identify what questions we're actually trying to ask together. Uh, we have an equity and practice group to make sure that we're not perpetuating equity in agriculture and uh, technology that has been, his, you know, sort of the historic pattern. Uh, and then we have a tech interoperability and development group. Um, that's also developing a host of open source tools and, uh, and libraries. So things like PharmaOS that I've mentioned, a common way to be able to share data and, and uh, structure it. And we've been working actually a lot with uh, USDA recently to help restructure the way in which they collect data so that it can be comparable. Um, and things like uh, we have a memorandum to on that side so that as we, this is sort of part of the vision is enter data once many use it many times and not have uh, farmers uh, harness all the burden of data collection if we have the part of the tools are you know we're working with USDA on is so that if you have uh, somebody from 
extension or you have somebody from your conservation district or you have a crop advisor or a somebody from the field office out collecting data on your behalf for the program, you keep a copy of that data. It can be used to auto-populate, say, your uh, your uh, your uh, uh, organic certification forms or for food safety uh, you know, certifications, like all that. So the, the, the vision is, and, and the tools that we're b building are you know moving in that direction and also uh, ways in which we can make sure that uh, farmers keep uh, data sovereignty and control over that data because that's your identity is especially as we you decommodify your identity is is that is is in is in that is in that data. So we're building those tools and and I just I, there are many many more but I just wanted to highlight uh, two others. Um, uh, one is you know as an example we're creating common libraries things like plant you know plants data uh, we started working with the, the national cover crop councils uh, to be able to so that we can as we're classifying our plants that we can make sure that they're documented in an exchangeable way and then finally uh, this is a little bit sometimes hard to get uh, it took me a while to sort of get around to it but it's a question library set or a question library. So we talked a lot about what questions we're asking and we're realizing that if we can actually have a library of how we're asking the questions, uh, that if we start with that, then so much of the rest of what we're doing goes much easier. So you don't have to ask. So all, think about all the people who ask you questions every day, you know, or not every, you know, but people are always bugging farmers for questions, especially if you're doing something new. And if we can just say, actually, here's, it's already been asked in the same way these three other times. I mean, think about your medical office visit, right? You fill out the form that's like 90% the same three times. That's what we're trying to address. Yeah. In the question library says, yeah. okay, just answer it this way. Now, actually, this is where we're talking about, you know, this ag data wallet. It's, it's in your wallet. It's already entered. Just like when you're in Google forms, you fill out your name, the rest of it autofills. <laughs> Here you go. Here's the agreement. You can use it for this purpose. Uh, go, or if you're going to do in a market, if you know, this is what, you know, we're starting with that for sort of research purposes. You want my data, what are you going to do with it? We can create a, a license agreement for it. You can use it for that purpose. That's all, that's all that, that's the kind of thing that we're trying to set up, but then ultimately so that we can also use that data to help create a contract for environmental improvement over time. Or something. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Super useful. Like, yeah, if we're going to enter data, let's make it work for us in a couple of different ways. And, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I also think that's super important in terms of like sovereignty over the data because there's just so much history of, you know, family farms and small and medium-sized farms really dedicated to taking care of land and to growing good food, doing all this massive work and then Big Ag being like, Oh, well, you proved it. We're just going to slap that. We're going to make a few subtle changes and we're going to use that language and that data set. And I just wonder, you know, how we can, I don't know how inevitable that kind of thing is, but I think it's like, if this date is like, no, this data is belongs to this farm, to this piece of land, to these stewards, That's like right. you, it's not all the same just because you say regenerative doesn't mean like this person is showing you what's happening on their land. Yep. And 
you know, how we get that into the, you know, five seconds the consumer has at the store is one question. But I, again, I, I sort of think also need to continue thinking about how value comes back to farmers beyond just the food product, you yep. know? Um, well, that's, that's, that's part of what Open Team is doing also is the creating the tools and technologies so that you can take those images that you take and all that, those things that decommodify the product and have it flow right through, whether it's to your, you know, direct sales to local restaurants to create stories they can use uh, to yeah. the farmer's market, or if it's going to a wholesaler or it's going into even, you know, other products that can go with it. And then, because honestly, that's adding value to the resale. So it's creating those tools for whoever's reselling it because that actually offers yeah. the premium that they they want. But you, in order to use it, they have to give you credit. And we can actually yeah. create that digital trail now. Uh, and that's what wasn't possible when you, you know, sold wheat to the elevator and put it on the railroad. Like we couldn't do that before. That's yeah. something that we can actually do now with all sorts of diverse diverse products um, and also we have the opportunity now to direct market part of our tools in our toolkit as we all know is these direct communications tools like we can talk directly to our customers they can chat with us about it and direct sell yeah. even if they're not really close to us so that's that's another sort of piece of the measurement community so it's measurement but measurement by itself isn't as valuable as being able to put it in context and communicate it right and mm -hmm. part of it is you know these commodity markets whether it's carbon or other things but part of it is the the rest of the you know telling our stories in much more robust ways as we've said i guess i've said that many times tonight <laughs> i think everyone who's struggled with this agrees though i think you know we have to tell our stories or well, think, somebody or somebody else will tell them for us <laughs> well, think about the, you know, we we're just saying that five gallon bucket story or, or the, you know, think about uh, uh, the short, the power of a short video of you going, uh, you know, it was yesterday, or, or you could just say, here's, you know, here's the video yesterday. I'm doing my, you know, my infiltration test. This is my, my here in this field and this field that has so much, that has so, that's a story that you just told that actually has, has there's it's qualitative and quantitative and it's going to resonate with with customers and buyers too and, and yeah in a way that you can't fake that right <laughs> that's much yeah. yeah i think there's that's what we're i think we're still coming to terms with what you know the tools in our toolkit for that sort of that kind of digital storytelling we have we live in a time of opportunity to sort of reclaim a little bit of sovereignty over you know the labor and the love that we put into raising food and taking care of land. I mean, it's, it's exciting. There's a, there's a lot that is troubling and there's urgency in the world. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity. And I think, uh, a lot of these strategies and tools that you're working on that we're trying to work on at stone barns, um, hopefully are going to make an impact and hopefully there's more and more people to tie into. Yeah. Um, I think we're a little over an hour. Um, there's a few more questions. Um, and then so I'll just, I, I didn't say much about open source, but I'll just say sort of, yeah. one of the sort of anecdotes about this is like, this is a huge, I sort of touched on it earlier, but it's such a big project 
but you know what we're it, it, and the 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 um but if we want you know the way it was exp one of the uh you know this is this is talked about around the sort of the formation of the internet too is that you know, if you wanted to create an automobile industry, it doesn't make sense for everybody to also build all their own roads, right? What we want is actually to create these really great cars that run on roads. So let's not like fight over like building all these different, you know, different standards. Let's create that foundation that we're all using to exchange. And then, and maybe that's not the best analogy, but it's it's just the community we have really is is, it is to coordinate on a lot of what we're doing and then focus on innovation uh, and sort of the club. One of the things I, I go back to is that, you know, competition like leaves and branches on a tree, we're all part of the same tree, but we're competing for light at the end and the fruit, but then we're, but we can still see that we're part of this bigger whole, right? Agriculture yeah. is sort of coming up from the roots. Um, and so that's that's something that the, the way I think about sort of open source tools and technologies is it's kind of a necessity if we're going to actually otherwise we're going to be, you know, it's like chopping all the branches off the tree constantly uh, to, as a comp, as a competitive metaphor. So Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, without that, we are at the whim of whoever has the most resources and power consolidated and we we have to use their tool the tools that they offer us to buy and and you know some of those are great some of those are powerful i'm not Absolutely. just knocking it no no but they're made more powerful if they're made interoperable and work together as part of the whole and i, I think you, you you basically uh you basically said that also in order to get to where we need if we're not if we don't take control together, and it's not just farmers, I think together we take control of these tools, we will be will be at the whims of them, and we're already seeing that. So, yeah. And and the great optimism here is that we can. We <laughs> there's nothing preordained that says these we need to be controlled by these tools. So we we created them. We have the agency to to recreate them. Absolutely, absolutely. So, well, um. I want to be respectful of everyone's time and your time. Um, it's a little over an hour, so I don't know if you have any closing thoughts you want to leave folks with, or Russ, do you have any, um, you know, closing remarks or thoughts? Oh, I wanted to, somebody said it's difficult to wear your marketing hats when you're in the field. Yeah, I just, sorry to jump into that. I just wanted no, to emphasize, I think it's such an important thing. It's too much that like all of this stuff, all getting working with this, these tools and technologies, too much for any one of us. So I think we really got to rely again on this broader definition of agriculture that it's, you know, the rest that there's this whole other group of folks to help us uh, create this. And it's not just corporate folks. I think there's a way in which we can bring the larger community into helping to document. I mean, mm -hmm. think about all the people who love to come out to our farms and have equip them with tools for observation and learning and get value out of it while they're populating our databases with these stories. I think there are some creative ways we can share that burden. Researchers, you know, this is the Civilian Climate Corps that, uh, that's been proposed too, is, is bringing in this new generation of folks to document what works where for the public good. So I think we really need to bring in sort of the new resources to document 
what works on our uh, farms, not just for markets and not all on us because we're not the sole beneficiaries uh, and we're not responsible for doing it and documenting it and marking it entirely on our own either. So and yeah. just, and that just sort of caught a nerve and I wanted to not let that go. And I think it's really a great point. I, I, yeah, I totally agree. As somebody who is not naturally a marketer and would rather be out in the field, digging holes, working with livestock in the forest, you know, harvesting crops, whatever it is, um, I totally rely on being able to connect with other people and, and tap into the tools. And, and I, I want to share what I have to offer and what I can learn with them. What no. was that, I mean, is there something about, I saw a thing about the, you know, the professional servers aren't professional servers without surfers, without their photographers, like those guys who are out there or yeah. pick, pick it. it. You, you need your partner who's actually documenting what's special and what people value about what we're doing. And so we need to bring those people on tour into our team. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, absolutely. And, and I, I think, you know, I had this, I was actually at a grass-fed alliance meeting. I was at Stone Barns. We had like a little roundtable breakout groups of, about what is, like, what is, is it, we, this guy started off, he was like, I just want to get an idea of what all of you think of marketing. Because I'm a marketer, but I know there's often a negative connotation. Everyone was just like, you know, trying to sell stuff, like you're in and getting one over on somebody and I'd feel like guilty about it. And like a lot of, you know, there wasn't like a lot of favorable things. And he was like, he's like, what if you conceived of marketing as the opportunity to tell your, your story? And you remember that if you don't do that, somebody else will tell your story for you. So why don't you just engage in it? You're not doing anything wrong. It's happening it's happening for you or you can participate or you can participate in it, you know, and just tell your, tell your story and figure out how. And um, luckily you don't have to do all the figuring out, but I think um, things like open team and being in community of people that are dedicated to this really um, make it a lot easier, make it a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So this has been so much fun. Uh, yeah, Shane. <laughs> absolutely. I think we're just getting started, but. Uh... <laughs> oh man, I'm sure we could talk for days. And I mean, there's obviously a lot of really interested, engaging folks in the audience who I hope come to more of these and hope we meet at some point in the future. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess, I guess we'll wrap it up. Um, We've been trying to have these roughly monthly uh, during the middle of, you know, the production season in June and July, you know, a lot of the, the folks on the grass fed exchange board are mostly ranchers and farmers and people working in that field. And guess what? So it, it's, it's August now since the last one's in May, but I think we've got a couple of other really uh, interesting ones lined up and, and cool people, um, you know, other awesome folks to come talk. So I will say stay tuned. Um, also go check out openteam.community. Uh, uh, check out Wolf's Neck Center. Check out stonebarncenter.org. 
um, you know, all of those places, all of these folks want to be advocates for you. If you're a producer, uh, we want to hear from you about what you need um, and do our best to try and work on all these issues and all the support we need together. So um, thank you very much for coming. And I think we're going to wrap it up there. Great. Thank you all. Thank you, Shane. All right. Thanks, Torn.